Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. So you want to take that literally, what would have to happen is you have to take and write one book, say it's about this thick, and I get done with it and I throw it on the ground, and I write another book and say it's that thick also, throw that on top of it, throw that on top of it, throw that on top of it, and some arbitrary number, say it's 20 feet tall, I take books, 20, 20 feet tall stacks of books, and fill the whole planet with 20-foot-tall stacks of books talking about all the things that Jesus did in three and a half years. Is that what John's saying? Or is he saying, Jesus did a whole lot of stuff that I'm not telling you. And in fact, I've only told, told you a small fraction of the things that he's done. He did a lot more than what I've written down in the book of John. And that's called a hyperbole. And so to take and make that, you know, some kind of literal, you're doing violence to the passage because that is not what John meant. And again, you can tell. And so uh, when, when the Bible is, is using a simile about God is like this or the kingdom of heaven is like this, you don't get to go through and make that literal. Otherwise, you're not taking it literally. If I literally mean to you that I love you with all my heart, I'm not telling you that my heart loves you a lot. If I'm literally telling you I love you with all my heart, I'm telling you that I have a love for you that's massive in the sense of I really, really care about you and it actually has nothing to do with the organ that pumps my blood. And if you try to make it that, then you are not taking me literally because I literally mean the other thing. Follow me? Okay, and so when you're going through the Bible, just like when you hear me talking, it is easy to tell when I'm speaking in metaphor, it's easy to tell when I'm using a simile, it's easy to tell when I use, a, use hyperbole, it's easy to tell when I'm using language that is different than what the term actually means, like cool, okay? I'm, it is easy to tell. And in the same way, it's easy to tell in the Bible. And so if you're gonna take the Bible literally, when you're reading poetry, you don't read it like a narrative. It's poetry. And when you're reading parables, you don't read those like a narrative. You're reading a parable. And so you, what you wanna do is find out what Jesus means by the parable. He's the one that used them the, the most often. And he tells you what he means. Right? Follow that? Okay, so with that, here's the problem with biblical interpretation of prophecy. What happens is guys go to the Old Testament and there are passages that are obviously prophetic. And I've, I've talked about this before, but did we know where Jesus was going to be born before he was born? 
Yeah, where was, where is Jesus, where was Jesus gonna be born? In Bethlehem. And we know that because there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And you see that in Matthew chapter two, when Herod asked the chief priests and the scribes, where is Messiah gonna be born? And they start quoting verses out of the Old Testament, okay? And so that is a prophetic passage. So did the prophetic passage literally come to pass? So is Bethlehem Bethlehem? Was Jesus born there? Yeah, that's a prophecy. The Bible in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter nine talks about the ministry of Christ is gonna take place in a place that's very dark, and what's, what's being used there is a metaphor in a place that's very dark and it's in the area of Galilee of the Gentiles. And so most of Jesus' ministry took place in the area of Galilee. And so that is in the Old Testament over 700 years before Jesus was born and Galilee means Galilee. And it calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. And by the time that Jesus came along, most of the inhabitants of Galilee were Gentile, just like the passage says. You see what I mean? And so the Bible talks about Jesus coming. It talks about him raising the dead. Did Jesus raise the dead? Yep. And it talks about him healing the blind. Did Jesus heal the blind? Yep. These are prophecies. And it talks about Jesus healing the lame. Did Jesus heal lame people? Yep. He did exactly that. And the, the exact words that are used in those prophecies are exactly what came to pass. It talks about him dying and dying on, on a tree. And specifically, you have, a, you have a number of passages that talk about his hands and his feet being pierced. Did those things come to pass? Yeah, exactly as they're, as they're stated, right? And these are prophecies, right? And so why? When we're talking about the first coming of Jesus, do we take the prophecies as they're stated? But when we start talking about the second coming of Jesus or prophecies concerning the people of Israel specifically, do we come along and start saying, well, that doesn't really mean that. When it's talking about Israel, it's actually talking about the church. Or you know, the millennial kingdom, you know, it says that Jesus, you know, that the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to stop a battle against Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm basically referring to Zechariah chapter 14. He's going to stop a battle that's taking place outside the, or in, in the city of Jerusalem. And one third of the people are going to be saved. He's going to open up a, you know, he's going to split the Mount of Olives in two. You know, all of this stuff that's there. Well, it doesn't really mean that. That's talking about the spiritual warfare that's taking place in the hearts of men, you know, at the time that Jesus Christ comes in. And the battle is won by the blah, 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 blah. And the words don't actually mean what they say anymore. So if we're talking about the first coming of Jesus, the words mean what they say, but if we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, all of a sudden you got all these interpreters who, who are coming along and they're spiritualizing the passage and trying to make it something, say something that it doesn't actually say. You follow me? Okay, so when we're going through the Old Testament, you gotta look at the passages as they're written down and you have to pay attention to the grammar and to the context and you have to take it the way that the writer means to write it. That's how we interpret anything. And so, 
you know, I've had, I've had all kinds of people, well, you know, I've, I've had situations where I've, I've written things down for people and they come back with this totally, you know, convoluted idea of what I said. And I just come back to them and I go, I, I pick up my letter and I say, dude, this is what I said. And I just read it to them. What do these words mean? Well, it means, well, I think you were thinking this and thinking that. No, I wrote down exactly what I thought. This is what it is. Nothing else, just this right here. And uh, again, people do this in all kinds of areas. Okay, so I want to talk to you about biblical covenants, and I'm not talking about covenant theology. Okay, so you'll hear the term covenant theology, and covenant theology is, is basically based on three covenants. And so you have the covenant of works, and that's what Adam was under when God told him, I don't want you to eat from the tree that's you know, set up in the middle of the garden. The day you eat from it is the day that you're going to die. And so that covenant was given to Adam, and the promise was that if he obeyed God, he would have eternal life, and the condition was perfect obedience. The penalty was death, and that was about Eden, Eden before the fall. That's when it was in place and its status is it's basically no longer in force. Then the second covenant in covenant theology, this is not what, what I believe, but the second covenant in covenant theology is redemption, the covenant of redemption. And that's the idea that God, the Father and the Son covenanted together in eternity past for the, redemp, for the redemption of the human race, the Father appointing the Son to be the mediator and so on. And so persons who are involved in that are the Father and the, and the Son, the promise of salvation provided for mankind, and that took place in eternity past, and it's in force. Those things are true. That's what God did, but that's not covenant. That's not the, the biblical covenants. And then you have the covenant of grace made by God with the elect in which he offers salvation to the elect sinner in Christ. And so that's to all mankind, promises eternal life, condition is faith, and so on. Weakness of that is the covenant of grace is an oversimplification. What they're, what they're doing is they're, they're saying that God worked in, in exactly the same way all through the Old Testament that he does in the New Testament. Well, nobody in the Old Testament knew Jesus because Jesus hadn't come yet, right? And so the one part about the covenant of grace that's true is that salvation comes through faith. And so you had to, you had to trust God in the Old Testament to have salvation. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, it says. And so you have faith in the Old Testament, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So God works in different ways and in different times, using the same principles. When you're talking about the covenants, you're talking about promises that God made specifically to his covenant people, talking about Israel. And this, again, is important, you guys, if you're ever going to understand what God's doing with the nation of Israel. Definition. A sovereign a covenant can be a sovereign promise of God by which he establishes an unconditional covenant with a man to bring to pass of himself definite blessings for the covenanted ones. And so there will be key words like I will standing alone. Then you can have a conditional covenant, which is a promise of God by which he establishes a conditional covenant with a man or man to grant special blessings contingent on perfect fulfillment of certain conditions and usually to execute punishment on those covenanted with in case of failure. And so if you're looking at a conditional covenant, you'll see if, if you, and the word if 
if you do this, then I will do this. That's a conditional covenant, okay? When you're looking at the covenants, the, the nature of the covenants are literal and they have to be interpreted literally. And so God made covenants with the people of Israel, with Moses, for example, and those things need to be taken the way that they're written. Real people, real promises. One of the things that you have with the covenants of God in the Old Testament is that they're all eternal. None of them are abrogated. Or abrogated, I, I just, I'm sorry. None, none of them fail to come to pass. If they are, if they are based on the promise of, promise of God, then they are going to happen. And so they are eternal. There's only one covenant that's not. And that's the Mosaic Covenant. And the reason is because the Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. If you will do these things, God said, then I will do these things, okay? And so um, when you're talking about the Abrahamic Covenant, for example, it's one that's eternal. There's a passage in Genesis chapter 17 in verse seven. I believe that we read it last time that says this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. What's everlasting mean in Hebrew? Yeah, it means everlasting. And so again, words mean things. That's the way that these guys would take this stuff. And so God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham. And there are a number of other passages that talk about this. And so when you're talking about the Abrahamic covenant specifically, there are three parts to it. And it's land, nation, and blessing. We'll talk about this again, again in a second. When you, when you go through the rest of the Bible, there are three other covenants that are mentioned between God and the people of Israel. And so one of them is what's called the Palestinian covenant. And that's a covenant that promises to give Israel the land, okay? Then the, another covenant is the Davidic covenant where God promises David that he is going to be the king of Israel and from his lineage, there are going to be more kings of Israel. And finally, the last king of Israel is going to come from his line and that's gonna be the Messiah. And so the, the Davidic covenant has to do with the nation, specifically the nation of Israel, that God was going to use that nation again until the coming of the Messiah, and he's going to be the last king, okay? And then the third one is what's called the new covenant. Actually, you know what? I, I, I wanna do something with the Palestinian covenant real quick. I, I meant to do this. Turn over to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 29. Actually, turn over to 28. It says in verse one, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you, okay? And then he goes through and he talks about all these ways that God's gonna bless them all the way down to verse 14. So 14 verses of blessings, okay? Then he says in verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed, 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 cursed. And it goes all the way to the end of the chapter, right? In verse 64, it ends it up with, 
then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. So what do you think that means? Yeah, from one end of the earth to the other. He's good. These people are going to be scattered all over the earth. Does that mean Babylon? Partially. But is it confined to Babylon? Nope. Does that mean Assyria? Partially. Does that mean it's confined to Assyria? Nope. These guys are going to be scattered all over the earth in places that they didn't even know existed yet. So we have Jews in, in, the, in the New World, for example. One end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither your, you nor your fathers have known, and among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place, but there the Lord will give you a troubling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. The Jews have been the most persecuted people that the planet has ever seen. And that's what's being prophesied right there. It means exactly what it says there. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. You, you know that that literally came to pass after the destruction of Jerusalem. The slave market was so glutted with Jews that nobody would buy them. And the slave markets were in Egypt. Literally came to pass. You go through chapter 29, and God makes a covenant with the people, and he ends it up with the idea, again, that if you, if you serve me, then I'm going to bless, me, bless you, but then if you don't, I'm going to make your land like Sodom and Gomorrah, up in verse 23, Admon Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath, all nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And it goes on and, and talks about the stuff that they did. Then look at chapter 30. And he says, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on, on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest part under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And so on. It goes on through the passage. And so God basically, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it's called Deuteronomy means second law, it's the reiteration of the law to the people who are going into the land. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he goes through and he tells them their future. And he says, when you serve me, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to be a blessing to you. And you're going to be a witness of the fact that I'm real. And when you desert me and go after other gods, this is what I'm going to do with you. 
and I'm going to curse you more than all the nations who are around you, and everybody's going to know that I'm real. And that's exactly what has happened in the history of Israel. And then he talks about in the last times, and after all these things have come to pass, that he's going to regather these people, bring them back to the land, and he's going to give them their possession. How much clearer can that be? That's already in the process. That's already things that are taking place right now. It's going to be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus comes back. And the Bible says that Jesus wraps that whole thing up. He literally gathers every Jew on the planet and brings them back to the nation of Israel. When, uh, again, when he comes back. And so again, words mean things. And so we talked about the Davidic covenant, and then we have the new covenant. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Isaiah, Jeremiah, if you're at Ezekiel, turn left. Isaiah 31, 31. And it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That's the Mosaic covenant. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's called the new covenant. Who is that written to? To the Jews. It's not written to the Gentiles. That's written to the Jews. And there are a number of passages in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah, in a couple of different passages that talk about the new covenant that's given to the Jewish nation. That's the blessing portion of the Abrahamic covenant. And so God promised them the land. And so in the Palestinian covenant, they're promised that they're always going to get the land. By the way, that whole thing with blessing and cursing is whether or not you keep the law. The reason that they get to come back to the land despite the fact that they've been disobedient is because God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham that they were always going to get the land. So whether they keep the law or not, the promise is that they're going to have the land. And so when you have the, the national covenant, that's the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant is the blessing portion of the Abrahamic covenant, and we'll talk about that right now. Okay, so when you're talking about the Mosaic covenant, let me, let me do this real quick before we move on. The Mosaic Covenant is not written to you. So the Ten Commandments, they're not written to you. The Sabbath day, not you. That's not for you. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, those are not for you. Those are written to the Jews. That's written to Israel. Specifically, the Sabbath day was a sign that was given to the people of Israel. And so when you're, when you're talking about covenants, we have a new covenant with the Lord and we have an entrance sign, and we have a remembrance sign. And so the entrance sign into Christianity, the new covenant with, with, is baptism. The remembrance sign is communion. You had exactly the same thing with the Mosaic covenant. There was an entrance sign, and that was circumcision. That's why circumcision is for the Jews. It's not for Gentiles. It's for the, and you may be a circumcised Gentile, but you don't have the covenant of circumcision with God. It's the Jews. 
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.